Amen. Thank you, Brother Ricky. Take your Bibles this morning, Hebrews chapter number 8. Hebrews chapter number 8. And looking forward to jumping into this passage uh, here this morning. Hebrews chapter number 8. And when you found it, would you stand with me? This morning, Hebrews chapter number 8. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you have that What's Next sheet. The references are there uh, on the back. I have thoroughly enjoyed studying about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, this month. Jesus is better. That has been our theme. And we've been here in the book of Hebrews. Not the easiest book of the Bible. As a matter of fact, as we've, as we've looked at these subjects, uh, in all honesty, though, it may seem a little deep, we've just barely skimmed the surface of what we've talked about. So much more that's here in these texts that we have not had time for. And really, as pastor, why haven't we gone into more detail? We don't have time, unless you want to be here till 2 or 3 o'clock today. And then the second part is because I believe the Holy Spirit uh, just wants to whet our appetite for the Son of God. And it's my prayer that as our appetite today gets wet, that in our own personal time, in our own personal study, we'll look a little closer at the Word of God, look a little closer at the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And as you and I consider Christ, Hebrews chapter 3, where we kicked off, we will always find that Jesus is better. Somebody came to me last week at the end of the service and said, Boy, Pastor Frost, what a message. And I said, It is what a message when you're talking about Jesus. You know, I, I I could preach the best sermon that I've ever preached this morning. I don't think it's going to be that. But I could preach the best sermon that I've ever preached this morning, and if you're talking about Jesus Christ, you haven't done good enough. Jesus Christ will always outdo what you talk about. He will always be above and beyond your best interpretation and your best explanation of the Son of God. It's a powerful truth this morning. Hebrews chapter number 8, we are going to look at more Bible this morning than they tell you to look at uh, in preaching class. And I, I do believe this morning, uh, really kind of the, the last quarter of my message, we're going to let the Word of God do the talking. Uh, I'll not expound much on it, but I'm going to go to five or six different passages and use those five or six passages and what the Holy Spirit uh, says to us to kind of drive home the point and drive home the thought This morning about our Lord Jesus Christ. But start with me here in Hebrews chapter number 8. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 and then jump down to verse number 6. Hebrews chapter 8 verse number 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Out of all those things in the first seven chapters that we've talked about and we've explained and we've tried to give detail to, this is the sum of all of that. We have such an high priest who is set at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Verses three through five talk about the other high priest, but verse number six in Hebrews chapter eight, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. This morning, I would like to look at that thought as we walk through the message about Jesus being a better 
mediator. Jesus being a better mediator. Let's pray and you may be seated after prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. And Father, though rich in text, we're grateful that your son Jesus Christ just far surpasses anything we can find here in scripture. One day when we find ourselves in eternity in heaven for the saved, we will see Jesus Christ as who he really was. And we'll realize that our best efforts to explain him here on earth did not come close to his majesty and to his greatness. So God, I pray this morning that as we look at scripture, that your Holy Spirit would lift up your son, Jesus Christ, that he would have the preeminence this morning, that our view of the son of God, your son, would reach greater heights. And once again, I recognize this morning my inadequacy. And so I ask that your Holy Spirit speak to my heart and through me and then to each one of our hearts. And we'll thank and praise you for what he does. In your son Jesus' precious name, we ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. How many have ever got caught watching an infomercial? You know, one of those that somewhere along the line you heard this, but wait, there's more. Don't you love that? I'm always, I, I never buy anything off of those, but if I did buy, I'd be one of those that waited till the very last minute. You know, see up in the top screen, you have to order in the next five minutes and then that thing is, is rolling down. It just seems like at four minutes you get this, but wait, there's more, and they throw in another knife. And then, but wait, there's more, and then they throw in another car. But wait, there's more, and they make your house payment. For, I mean, boy, the... The longer it goes, it just keeps getting better. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing here in this book. He talks about how Jesus Christ is a better sacrifice. That all those sacrifices there in the Old Testament, that Jesus is so superior to all of those, that he fulfills every single one of those just in the person of Christ. And then we took time to look in chapter seven about how Jesus is a better high priest. And yes, though there was some good high priest, none was in comparison to Jesus Christ. There was, uh, he lived forever, his, 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 all these things were just so far superior as we studied out these uh, different parts about his priesthood. And if we thought that Jesus being a better sacrifice and a, a better high priest was wonderful enough, the writer in Hebrews literally almost stops and says, but wait, chapter eight, there's more. Look at verse number six. But now hath he, being Jesus Christ, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. You mean more excellent than uh, being a sacrifice? You mean more excellent than being the high priest? But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also, but wait, there's more, also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Just when you and I find out that Jesus Christ is unbelievable, that Jesus Christ is awesome, we find out that there's more to the person of Christ. You and I will never be disappointed in the study on the, of the Son of God. If you and I will stop, we will consider Christ, we will always find out that Jesus is better. There's three powerful truths here in these verses this morning that I'd like to draw your attention to. 
First of all, I want to talk about the better covenant. Explain that just a little bit. Then I want to spend just a moment talking about the better promises that's, that's talked about. And after we talk about the better covenant and the better promises, I'd like to talk about Jesus, the better mediator for you and I. Look there again with me at verse number six. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much he is the mediator of a, what's those next three words? A better covenant. A better covenant. Verse number seven. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. And so we find out here in this passage that there is a better covenant, which means there was an older covenant, and the next verse tells us that the first covenant was inadequate. That the first covenant had had some problems, uh, had some issues uh, with it, and so therefore another covenant, if, if the first covenant was perfect, we wouldn't need the second. But because the first covenant is not, we need the second. So what was the first covenant then? Look with me very quickly, Exodus chapter number 19. Keep, keep your finger in the book of Hebrews because we're gonna keep coming back there. But Hebrews, uh, Exodus chapter number 19, we have a covenant that God makes with the nation of Israel. While you're turning there, we find in verse number three, and Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. And then look there with me at verse number five. Here is the covenant. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my, what's that next word? Covenant. Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and, and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses brings the covenant that came from God to the people and he tells them what God says and all the people answer, these are the things, these things that are said of God, we will do them. Now, once again, we read there was a problem with that first covenant. Hebrews chapter eight, verse number seven, for if the covenant had been faultless, well, and who is that fault? Look with me at verse number eight. For finding fault with them. Finding fault with them. The weakness was not in the covenant itself. And matter of fact, the weakness was not in God the Father. He is not weak, my friend. He would keep his side of the bargain. The problem, the fault, the weakness of the covenant was the inability of man to keep that covenant. We look back at verse number eight of Hebrews chapter eight. For finding fault with them, he saith, and he's gonna quote, if you wanna write off to the margin, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. This is the first time that this covenant is mentioned. And the writer of Hebrews is gonna quote from Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. Meaning there in Jeremiah, he said, as we look out, it's not taking place yet, but as we look out, there's gonna be another covenant. Behold, the days are gonna come uh, out here. 
Now, the writer of Hebrews has written after the fact of those. But he quotes, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. It's a covenant made with Moses there. Because, look what it says. They continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. The reason the old covenant didn't work was because man could not keep the covenant that they had made with God. And the Bible says that God regarded them not. The word means to respect or have affection for. Because they did not keep their side of the bargain, God said, I will not have the affection that I promised to you on the other side of it. And so there in Jeremiah 31, and here in Hebrews chapter 8, we're reminded of that covenant, the new covenant that Christ was going to bring in. Verse number 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. And here we go. I will put their law into, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Verse number 13. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first, what's that next word? Old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. He says there was an old covenant that was established there with Moses and the nation of Israel. He said, oh, but out looking out, out here in a little bit, there's going to be a new covenant And when that new covenant takes place, it's going to make the old covenant obsolete. It's going to make the old covenant worthless. It's going to make the old covenant of no value. Now, there are so many wonderful differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. But we don't have time for them this morning. But I do quickly, I want to look at at five, very, very fast. Uh, Let me point out these five. First of all, they were different in their dedication. They were different in their dedication. The old covenant was dedicated by the sprinkling of blood, the blood of bulls and goats over the nation of Israel. You can read that in Exodus chapter 24 if you'd like to a little bit later on. The new covenant was dedicated by the blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remissions of sins. The new covenant had the blood of Christ placed on our account. We were sprinkled with the blood of Christ, those who have believed. Number two. There's a better priesthood. There's, it's different in their priesthood. The old covenant is represented by the priesthood of the law of Moses and the high priests that were descendants of Aaron. The new covenant gives priesthood of the believers. A Baptist distinctive, by the way, that you and I have direct access to God. We don't have to go through another man to get to God. The new covenant says you and I get to walk right into the throne room of the king of kings and make a request before him. Well, that's a wonderful thought. It's different in its sacrifices. The old covenant demanded an endless repetition of sacrifices. We talked about that two weeks ago. One after another, after another, after another, after another. The new covenant, though, provided a once for all Perfect sacrifice in the sinless son of God himself. It was different in sacrifices. It was different in duration. It was different in duration. Uh, The old covenant was designed to prepare the way for the new covenant. It was but a shadow of things to come as we've looked at those verses a couple times the last couple weeks. 
Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 13, in that he saith, a new covenant he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And so once again, the old covenant was never meant to last forever. But the new covenant, on the other hand, was designed to last forever. forever. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. There was no ending to the new covenant. When somebody placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal savior, it was that sacrifice that lasted forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever. There was a different duration. But there's also number five, and this is the one I really want to draw your attention to, there was a different emphasis. A different emphasis in the old covenant and the new covenant. The key words of the first covenant, I I doubt you're still there in Exodus chapter 19, but maybe when you go back, you can underline uh, this phrase. Exodus 19, verse number five, it was the start of the covenant. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. God told the people, if ye will keep my covenant, if ye will obey my voice. You see, the old covenant, the emphasis was on works. You have to do your part. And when you do your part, I'll be to you. When you listen to me and when you obey me and when you sacrifice to me and when you do all these things of the law, then I will be your God. The old covenant had an emphasis of works, but... Look there with me at Hebrews chapter eight. And we have the new covenant given again or or explained again. I want you just to underline, if you get in the habit of underlining, boy, this is just important. Underline these first couple phrases. Here we go. Hebrews chapter eight, verse number 10. For this is the covenant that, what's those next two words? I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Underline those two words, I will. Say the Lord. I will, underline those two words, put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, underline that, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities, will I, underline that, will I remember no more. The old covenant's emphasis was on what you did. The new covenant emphasis is on what he did. You see, there's a difference. There's an emphasis on works on one side, the old covenant, but the new covenant is emphasized God's grace. The new covenant was marked by believing and receiving the grace of God. Instead of the old covenant, which was given by earning and deserving the grace of God. What was the problem with the old covenant? You and I couldn't earn it. You and I would never deserve it because of our sin. And so we have a different emphasis in these two covenants. We have the old covenant, new covenant. We find out, boy, that new covenant is so much better. But it also says there's better promises. Look there with me at verse number six. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. The promises of the first covenant was this. If you follow my commandments, 
then I will, and you fill in the blank, he gives a list of things. But the new covenant that we read here in verses eight through 10, give us eight, what we would call better promises. First of all, it does not hinge on us, it hinges on him. We have a promise of head knowledge. I will put my laws into their mind. We have a promise of heart knowledge and write them in their hearts, meaning this, it was more about inward change than it was outward conformity. Everything about the Old Testament was what you did on the outside. And everything about the new covenant was you better make sure it's right on the inside. God's gonna change the inside. And by the way, when the inside is changed, it begins to affect the outside of somebody. There was a promise of headship and I will be to them a God. There was a promise of love for they shall, or, and they shall be my people. There was a promise of availability for all shall know me. There was a promise of opportunity from the least to the greatest. Aren't you good to know that God is no respecter of persons? That he would plant from the least unto the greatest? There was a promise of mercy, for I will be merciful under their unrighteousness. There was a promise of forgiveness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And by the way, those eight promises that are listed here in verses eight through 10, they just barely scratched the surface. They barely touched the promises that were afforded in the new covenant of grace. Second Peter chapter one, verses three and four, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Oh, my friends, there was a promise of eternal life. There was a promise of the Holy Spirit. There was a promise of fellowship. There was a promise of peace. There was a promise of hope. There was a promise of help. The list could go on and on and on and on and on, but I just want you to understand this morning there was a better covenant, and that covenant was built on better promises. Now, let's get down to talking about Jesus. Verse number six, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he, Jesus Christ, is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Number three and lastly this morning, Jesus is a better mediator. The word mediator is the Greek word mesitis, which means one who stands in the middle between two people and brings them together. One who stands in the middle between two people and brings them and brings them together. Zach, could I use you real quick? I've made fun of you, so I get to use you. There we go. Brother Ricky, come up here real quick. A mediator is one who stands between two people and brings them together. Was there a mediator of the old covenant? Yes. Who was that mediator? Moses. It was Moses. Moses, who wants to be God. (laughs) Moses went to God, and God said, I want you to go tell the people about my covenant. And so Moses comes to the people and says, people of Israel, this is what God has said. This is the covenant. This is what he desires for you to do, and if you do that, this is what God will do. And the people say, okay, 
Hey, we, we like what we hear. We, we will do that. And so Moses, we read, goes back to God and says, God, they have said that they would keep that covenant. So God says, I want you to seal it with, with blood. It's gotta, there's got to be blood involved in it. And so Moses goes back to the people and he dedicates the covenant, the old covenant, with the people. And Moses stands in between the two people, helping bring them together. Stay here. Look with me at chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 3. Moses being the mediator of the old covenant. But by the way, I just want to remind you this morning, Jesus is better than Moses. And Hebrews chapter 3 explains that to us. Uh, Wherefore, holy brethren, verse number 1, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Insomuch as he hath built it on the house, hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant. For a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, verse number six, as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. By the way, the word of God says Moses did stand faithfully between God and the nation of Israel. But he stood as a servant. And Jesus Christ could one-up that. Jesus Christ came not as a servant to bridge the gap between a covenant. Jesus Christ came as a son to bridge the gap of the covenant. Jesus was a better mediator than Moses. We look back to our text, and if you guys just want to sit down for a minute, I I might come back to you. Verse number 13, and he, he saith, a new covenant he hath made the first old, now that he which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So herein lies our problem. The old covenant of works is done. The old covenant of works is finished. It's obsolete. It's old. It's decayed. And you and I cannot be justified by keeping the law or by resting in the old covenant. We are reminded in scripture that it's not of ourselves. We're reminded in scripture that it's not of works. And without a mediator going between God and you and I, you and I are in trouble. We have sinned against the holy God. There's a wall of partition between us. There is a penalty of eternal damnation in front of us. There's a handwriting of ordinances against us. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus goes on to say, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have done many mighty works and wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Our knowledge of Christ has no effect. Our works have no effect. Our family name has no effect. The church that we're worshiping in this morning has no effect on our eternity. You and I need someone to bridge the gap. You and I need someone to mediate, to stand between us and a holy God. And so here comes Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter eight, verse number six, but now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry 
by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Covenant. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. Jesus Christ is our high priest. And now Jesus Christ is our mediator, bringing in the covenant of grace and getting away or doing away with the covenant of works. Now, I got five minutes. Just five. But this morning, I want you to listen to scripture tell it. Jesus is a better mediator. You say, Pastor Frost, how did Jesus stand in between God, a holy God, and a sinful man and bridge that gap? How did he become a mediator between, between us? How, how does that new covenant work? Let's let scripture do the talking here for just a little bit this morning. You won't turn to all of them, but I want you to listen to the words. Romans chapter number five, verse number 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded... Grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so grace reigned through righteousness unto eternal life. Remember that covenant has no ending, it's an eternal covenant, unto eternal life by, guess who? Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians chapter two, but now is Christ Jesus who, uh, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath both won and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Remember, we needed somebody to bring us together. There was a wall in between us and Jesus Christ stepped up and said, I'm going to tear that wall down. Having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Colossians chapter two, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which were contrary to us and took them out of the way, nailing them to the cross. What a wonderful picture. You and I had a handwriting of ordinances. Get up here, uh, get up here, get up here. You and I, we had a handwriting of ordinances against us. Oh, our sins were great. We could list them this morning, but we don't have time. And they were against us. They separated us from a holy God. The wages of those sins were death and hell. Oh, but Jesus Christ, my friend, he took that handwriting of ordinances from us. He went to the cross and that passage of scripture says he went and he... He nailed them to the cross. He got rid of those. Doing what? Bringing a sinful man to a holy God. What a mediator. Galatians chapter four. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant. By the way, what was Moses? A servant. You're no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. What a mediator. 
Look at Hebrews chapter nine. You guys can have a seat. Hebrews chapter nine, next, next, next chapter over. Two more passages. Hebrews chapter nine. And the writer and the Holy Spirit continues this thought, verse number one, but Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, that was old covenant, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. What's those next two words? For us. Verse number 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. That was the same word for testament, the same word for covenant. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament or covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. By the way, better promises. Verse number 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, not to appear, now to appear in the presence of God for us, mediating. Verse number 26, for then must we oft and have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We look at Hebrews chapter 10 and I'm finished. We read there of Christ's sacrifice once for all, but I want you to look there with me at verse number nine. Talking about how the blood of bulls and goats could not wipe away sin, how it was just a covering, how it was inadequate, how it must be done away with, how there, it must take place again every year. Verse number nine. Then said he, speaking of Jesus Christ, lo, I am come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. The first what? The first covenant. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all and every high priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never, can never take away sins. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Verse number 14. For by one offering, he hath perfected. Perfected for a short time. Perfected until they sinned again. Perfected until their next transgression. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever. Them that are sanctified. What a wonderful mediator you and I have in Jesus Christ. My friend, if you're trying to get to heaven based on your works, that's the old covenant. You will never be good enough. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us. The problem is with our sin. We can't keep the old covenant. But aren't you glad Jesus Christ brought in a new covenant? It says, not of works of righteousness which we have done, but by the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross, 
Therefore, signifying to you and I, an old covenant has passed away. And here's a new covenant, not of works, but of grace. Unmerited favor. Pastor, I don't deserve eternity. Neither do you and I. I don't deserve heaven. Neither do I. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. Oh, my friend, you don't know what Jesus Christ has forgiven. He is the mediator of a new covenant. Let me read that last verse again. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified.